Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Joshua Beck and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Joshua Beck. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. He is board certified in family practice, a WellMed physician, and you can find him at the WellMed Clinic at Centerview off Loop 410. And we've got a trio of guests joining us today, Dr. Beck, uh, talking about something that uh, you and other WellMed physicians are very familiar with, palliative care and advanced directives. Uh, you talk to all your patients about advanced directives. We do. We try to uh, to really emphasize that. Uh, that is a, uh, a push that um, Medicare is, is uh, pushing, and WellMed is pushing, and everybody's trying to get uh, patients' uh, advanced uh, directives in place. Sometimes called uh, end-of-life. End-of-life directive, and, you know, especially, uh, you know, with the growing population and the patients that we see that sometimes have complex medical problems, uh, we want to have a plan should their uh, health deteriorate and they start having problems, and we would want to respect their decisions and their cultural decisions, you know, their uh, family decisions as to what, uh, you know, what is important for them um, if they do get really sick and get in the hospital and what they would want done or not done. Uh, And so we try to have that discussion uh, at every visit. Cool. Let's welcome our trio of guests on our Women Radio Hotline, Dr. Sally Kelly, earned her medical degree with honors from Indiana University School of Medicine in Indianapolis, Indiana. She's board certified in hospice and palliative medicine, as well as internal medicine. Merlin Palacios uh, is a, a DNP, a doctor and nurse practitioner, earned her bachelor's and master's degree in nursing from the University of Texas Pan American, now UT Rio Grande Valley in Edinburgh, Texas. And she earned her Doctor of Nurse Practitioner degree at the University of Texas Health Science Center in Houston, now called Texas Health, UT Health. And we've got a third special guest, Carmen Scott, who is a social worker, licensed master degree social worker. And all three work together in a field of palliative care, helping patients uh, begin a transition. It's not hospice. And we'll have Dr. Sally Kelly give us the 101 on palliative care. Dr. Kelly and Dr. Uh, Palacios and Carmen Scott, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. We're, we're glad to be here. Let's kick it off with Dr. Kelly. Uh, for those who don't know, what is palliative care versus hospice and how do they differ? Okay, yes. Palliative care is not hospice. So palliative care now is a specialty focus like cardiology or pulmonology. And its its focus is to partner with patients and their providers when they have been given um, a progressive or life-threatening diagnosis. This is the time, it's not the last chapter of your life, as what we would talk about with hospice, and hospice really is an insurance benefit that, that Medicare that we get, we can um, 
acquire through, through our Medicare benefit if we have a prognosis of uh, six months or less of life. So that I would consider we could talk as the last chapter of our lives. But palliative care is before that. Palliative care, you can still have a focus of curative. You can still have a focus of getting that transplant. Um, and you can still have a focus of aggressive curative treatment. So I usually, yeah, I would agree with Dr. Kelly, and I, I usually, the way that I explain palliative care to my patients, is it's a step before hospice. So these patients may be sick, um, sicker than, you know, your average patient, or they may, uh, you know, have some kind of uh, impairment. Uh, they were discharged from the hospital, they're weak, uh, you know, their, uh, you know, congestive heart failure or whatever it may be is is not quite back to baseline. They're not compensated. And so the palliative care is kind of like the step before where you don't know if they're going to continue to decline. Um, they may bounce back and, uh, you know, uh, graduate, so to speak, or, you know, come off palliative care. But it's more of a hands-on approach to taking care of complex patients with complex medical problems, but they're not quite sick enough uh, that they're continuing to decline the meet criteria for hospice. Um, and so that's uh, I would agree with Dr. Kelly on 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 that. So, Dr. Palacios, is this something a patient can uh, request uh, or a caregiver say, "Hey, you know, Ralph's really not doing well. I don't think this is going anywhere." Uh, maybe he ought to be in palliative care. Hi, yes, this is Dr. Palacios. Um, they can, the family can request that, but in the culture that we work with, that's not something they normally request. I think most uh, families will say, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I need extra help, or uh, the patient is um, at that time very sick and maybe uh, homebound, bedbound, and they're having trouble getting the patient to see their PCP, their primary care provider. So that's where our team can step in and fill in that gap and, and, and provide support in the patient's home. And I think it's very important, like Dr. Kelly mentioned, explaining to patients that palliative care is not hospice care, because that's one of the biggest misconceptions. When they see us, sometimes they're like, okay, I don't want hospice. And then we have to explain, no, we're not hospice care. This is what we do. We're trying to do symptom management, um, trying to help you be comfortable while you're going through any curative treatments and, and try to keep you out of the hospital. That's one of our goals, too, so that, you know, most patients don't want to go to the hospital. They want to be home. Um, so we just have to do a lot of education and explaining to the, the patient and their families. And, of course, uh, when you deal with patients who are uh, under the age of uh, uh, 65 who are not on Medicare unless they're there because of uh, disability, uh, how do they access palliative care? Do most insurance policies cover it? At WellMed right now, we are offering it to our um, Medicare Advantage patients. So, of course, we have patients that are younger than 65 that have that plan. You know, palliative has traditionally started out being offered in the hospital setting. So... Offering it in community-based, like we do at WellMed, is, is just a starting initiative. We've been fortunate in the Valley 
to have it for the last four years, and it's been longer in San Antonio. But, um, you know, right now we're offering it to that segment and hoping to open it up to other insurances. There are, um, so uh, Dr. Kelly Dr. Kelly is talking about the WellMed Palliative Program, which uh, primarily focuses on our uh, Medicare Advantage patients uh, who meet uh, palliative care uh, criteria. And as Dr. Palacio said, you know, the, the patient is sick, you know, they're weak, they just got discharged from the hospital, or maybe they didn't and they're just not doing well and they can't come in to see their primary care doctor. So sometimes the palliative care team will arrange for a uh, something called a bridges program where uh, we send providers out to the patient's home to see the patient since they can't come in to see uh, the provider. But for those that are not, uh, uh, you know, uh, Medicare Advantage patients, there are uh, through, you know, we would just need to find out through their insurance, you know, what palliative options they have. Um, Oftentimes, there are certain hospice companies. I'm not sure about uh, the Rio Grande Valley, but for San Antonio, there are hospice companies that will focus in on uh, a palliative care, uh, to you know, to some degree, and and so that may be an avenue for those patients. Definitely for our Medicare Advantage patients, yeah, the WellMed uh, Palliative Care Program is a very beneficial program we have. Let me bring uh, Carmen Scott in, a, a social worker who works as a team member with. Uh, Drs. Kelly and Palacios. And Carmen, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, You had mentioned to me briefly off the air uh, that you provide help not only for the patient, but for caregivers and family members dealing uh, with the incredible stress and anxiety that comes with uh, caring for someone who is not really doing well. How do you help them? Well, basically what I do is I I complete a, a psychosocial assessment with them, with the family, with the patient, and uh, look to see what services I could I can assist with. And services that I can assist with um, range from, gosh, there's been so many things that I've been involved in, but a lot of it is like increasing caregiver support, uh, making referrals to community agencies that can help with that, uh, maybe offering provider services uh, in the home that can help the caregiver give them some, some respite. Um, so that way, you know, they can tend to the things that they, they were doing normally doing um, prior to, like, their loved one getting sick. Sometimes it's just applying for other programs that are available to help, you know, with financial issues, um, transportation, helping them for the patients that, that still seek, um, are able to still see other, you know, doctors or specialists and they need transportation, helping them coordinate that. Uh, sometimes just following up with them on their on their medical equipment. Um, sometimes they, they're in need of... Um, urinary incontinence supplies that possibly their their insurance doesn't assist with, um, and then just basically working with them on trying to find resources for, for those types of things. Now, is there also access to respite care so the family and caregiver can get a break and uh, you fly in via parachute to take care of the uh, uh, care care recipient. Oh, we're we're okay here. Here comes Carmen. So, are you available to do that, or do you help them with respite care? Yes, I help them with respite care, help, looking for resources that are there to help for that. Yes. What would that Depending. be? What kind of resources? Um, we have a local community resource here called Area Agency on Aging that helps with respite hours. Um, they also have. Some services through um, through the state, uh, which was the Department of Aging, um, they have a new name. It's the HHS, um, and what they do is they also come in and, and uh, see if they can help 
sometimes just helping them fill out paperwork to see if they qualify for another benefit um, that's not provided through their Medicare, but would be something uh, like Medicaid or a portion of that can cover those services. Now, all three of you, stay with us just a minute. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. On our WellMed radio hotline, we'll talk more about caregiving in just a moment for patients in palliative care. Dr. Sally Kelly, Dr. Merlin Palacios, and Carmen Scott, social worker. Carol Zorniel, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Well, we appreciate you listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. We're talking about palliative care. We touched on advanced directives end-of-life planning, and we'll get back to that. Dr. Sally Kelly, Dr. Merlin Palacios, and Carmen Scott, social worker, are with us on our WellMed Radio Hotline. We were talking about, Carmen, about help for families uh, who are dealing with a very sick loved one or aunt, uncle, brother, sister. And, and Carmen, I want to come back to something you mentioned. You do a, uh, an interview, a, a social checklist on how folks are doing. Uh, what kind of questions do you ask them? Um, when I complete my psychosocial assessment, I, I, I take some demographic information basically to see who, who is um, readily available to provide support to the, to the patient. Um, basically, you know, you know, their marital status and um, their, their children. Um, also, I, I touch a little bit on, on you know, their, as far as their spiritual uh, background. Sometimes, um, you know, I encourage them to get involved with their with their local churches to provide like some sort of spiritual support if they're if they're needing that um so basically those are questions i do ask uh, just a little bit of background history too that would provide to me kind of give me a, an idea of what kind of programs they may qualify for because some of the programs or at least majority of them um do go through financial as far as what they you know resources as far as what you know what comes into the home what resources they have they, they account all that so that gives me an idea prior to, to making those those referrals out to the agencies, if they will qualify or not for those services. Dr. Kelly, when, when you uh, first begin offering palliative care to uh, uh, an individual, uh, and really the whole family is involved in this process, do you go out to their home? So we we meet the patient and family um, in, a, in a setting that they can get to. So in other words, if they can come to our clinic, we will see them at the clinic. If they're homebound or they're now in treatments that are causing them extreme fatigue, we will 
we will go to their home. And um, we also see patients when our primary care physicians or providers ask us to see them in the nursing home and in the hospital. Because lots of times when patients are in those venues, things can be changing quickly and um, we really need to sit down and see where they are in their illness, see what the needs are. And a lot of times in those venues, um, we really can sit down and have a, well, we consider what we call a serious illness conversation with the patient and the family. I've been told that the worst place to be if you're sick is in the hospital. (laughs) Yes, and you know, we hear that also from the majority of our patients. People want to be at home. And with palliative care, um, you know, we want to try to give them that support system so it's not necessary for them to go to the emergency room or the hospital. Um, And that is the majority of patients here in the RGV. And actually, studies have shown that to be the case across America. I know a family here in San Antonio. The wife is in her late 40s. The husband is in his late 70s. uh, And he's struggling with a variety of really difficult medical challenges from congestive heart failure uh, to diabetes, has an incredible swelling in his legs and uh, extremities, a tremendous amount of fluid around his heart, and he keeps ending up in the emergency room in the middle of the night. Uh, it seems to me that without practicing medicine without a license, somebody ought to talk to them about palliative care. I agree, and I think that's usually when uh, you know it's important for the provider, for the family practice doctor to get the palliative care team involved. Um, you know, especially if the uh, patients and family are open to it, you know, and get that uh, extra help, uh, whether it be through the social worker and, and, and support uh, uh, via that avenue or having a, another provider like Dr. Kelly uh, go see the patient at their home or, you know, the advanced uh, practice nurse practitioners that will, will go uh, do home visits. I think it's very, very important, and I really appreciate our WellMed palliative team uh, as a family practitioner because when I do get those patients that are sick, our goal is to, to try to keep them out of the hospital, especially if they tend to go in uh, uh, repeatedly. Uh, so we, you know, we, we, we want to try to get them better uh, and try to provide some kind of symptomatic uh, uh, you know, relief and, and, and support for the family as yeah, well. The gentleman I mentioned has been in the hospital, to my knowledge, at least four times in the last two weeks. And it's not only expensive, it's putting him at risk for other stuff floating around the air in the hospital. Exactly, pneumonia and blood clots and, you know, other complications. And, you know, so it's very, very important to, uh, you know, the nice thing is we have a, a good well-med team uh, and uh, many of the, of, of the uh, family practitioners and, uh, you know, providers uh, are always in touch with our palliative care team. Uh, you know, at our uh, weekly uh, patient-centered conference, we talk about those patients that require uh, extra help and, and who would be a good candidate for, for this program. And, and Dr. Palacios, let me bring you in as a nurse practitioner. Uh, you, you, you can do much of what Dr. Kelly can do, so you really double the availability of patient outreach and care. How did you end up doing 
of this kind of work. Nurse practitioners like uh, MDs can do anything in that medical field. What attracted you to palliative care? Uh, you know, that's a good question. <clears throat> so if you had told me five, six years ago I would be doing this, I would have laughed. <laughs> but ah. uh, Because I thought, I, I don't think I could, you know, deal with patients who are nearing the end of their life. You know, like Dr. Kelly said, it's not hospice care. They don't have six months or less, but we know that, you know, the time may be um, short that they have. So, uh, but, you know, when I was doing internal medicine and I was working with WellMed, uh, the program was introduced here in the Rio Grande Valley, and our medical director approached me and said, you know, Merlin, I think that this might be a program that, you know, you could definitely that you should definitely consider. And so uh, a friend of mine was a palliative care nurse practitioner at that time, and she encouraged me too and says, look, this is, you're going to do symptom management. Yeah, you know, you're going to be caring for patients um, who are nearing the end of their lives. You're going to be doing uh, a lot of what you're doing already in the clinic, but these are patients that have like very serious illnesses. So I'm so happy that I decided to do it because it really is um something that I'm very passionate about now. And, and you know, Dr. Bet, you mentioned that in San Antonio, you have hospices that provide palliative care. In the Rio Grande Valley, we don't have that. And we work uh, mostly with Hispanic patients, and um, they're very, um, they're not very receptive to having these uh, serious illness discussions that Dr. Kelly was mentioning. So it takes a lot of work, a lot of compassion, um, it takes the whole team, you know, to explain to them not just where they are in their disease, but also maybe if we're getting close to those six months or less. And it, it just, um, it's a lot of work, but it's very rewarding when patients tell you, you know what, thank you since you guys started to see me. I have been out of the hospital two months, three months, six months. Um, I feel much better. I know I can call you and you answer, you come, you send your nurse. So, those things are very rewarding, so I'm glad that I'm part of this team. It also gives you an opportunity uh, to talk about advanced directives and end-of-life uh, papers they need to sign, medical directives and what have you. Uh, it's an opening because I know uh, you mentioned that there is some resistance uh, in the Hispanic community. There's resistance everywhere to talk about end-of-life and to fill out those forms. Yes, there is. There's a, you're right. There's resistance everywhere, but studies show that it's uh, more common in, in Hispanics and African Americans. When you talk about uh, end of life or these uh, advanced directives, uh, a lot of times patients tend to shy away. Um, you know, we, we as a team have gotten better. Carmen has been a, a big help, our social worker. Sometimes it's we introduce it as palliative care providers, and then she comes in and reiterates it or discusses it again. A lot of these Hispanic families have very large families. Um, there might be eight, ten kids or more. So sometimes they struggle to, okay, who's going to be my primary health care agent? Who am I going to appoint? Um, and sometimes, too, they feel in the culture that if you talk about these documents, then it's like if you're calling death to your door. So they don't want to talk about it too much or the, the DNR. But, you know, again, it's a lot of education and, and, and utilizing the whole team to, to explain to them why these documents are so important. Now, DNR, do not resuscitate. Is there resistance uh, among your patients uh, to fill out a DNR? Do you want to answer that? I'll let Carmen, our social worker, answer that. 
What do you think, Carmen? Yes, there is a lot of resistance. Um, having to explain that to them and, and letting them know, because um, a lot of times I, I the, they, some patients are aware of the DNRs to an extent because they'll say, well, they, they told me about that at the hospital, and then I'll explain to them how the hospitals, you know, there's an um, in-hospital, um, you know, DNR, and then there's an out-of-hospital mm-hmm. DNR. So I'll explain to them the differences between those two. Um, and so getting the families to appoint uh, uh, their medical power of attorney, their agent, and then talking to them and, and reemphasizing that. Um, I do see, uh, you know, I, I'm able to a lot of times get the power of the attorney signed, but the out-of-hospital DNR is still something, you know, that's sometimes questionable with the families, even though I've educated them on the, on, on the process. And Dr. Kelly, we've got about a minute left, and, and I didn't want to leave without asking you, uh, are there some things we haven't covered you'd like to touch on? Well, I think we've done a nice job of covering it. I think, um, you know, we want to we wanna emphasize that um, we want to know who the person is, who the patient is, what matters to them the most, so that we can give, her, give care that is aligned with what they want. And then more than anything, um, a lot of times if we can get in there earlier, Rather than later, we can de- develop that rapport with the family. I'm going to have to going to have to snap you right there. That's a really good point you made. We appreciate all three of you coming on WellMed Radio for Dr. Joshua Beck. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you again soon, right here on WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.